Thanks, Jeff. And he read only part of the story, but, uh, but I really encourage you maybe this week to read all of Genesis 40 and 41. I'll fill in a few of the blanks uh, that, were, that were left out. But I want to remind you that we're in week three of Joseph in living color and what a colorful life Joseph lived. Now, we're talking about the Old Testament Joseph uh, who was the favorite son of his father Jacob. Uh, the first story we got was one of sort of betrayal and violence when his brothers just so resented how much dad loved him that they sold him. Or they, they were thinking about killing him, but they pushed him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and, uh, and really left him, uh, uh, stripped him down and just left him in the hole. When, and they sold him for some money, right, to the uh, Ishmaelite uh, merchants who happened to be going to Egypt, right? And you know Egypt's going to be where we, uh, Exodus kind of picks up. So we're starting to spread down there. And Joseph is led there uh, to Egypt. But sometimes it's hard to know what a blessing and a curse is in Joseph's life because he, he lands in a good spot. A high-ranking official named Potiphar, doing great, but then all of a sudden Mrs. Potiphar has an eye for him. Things go south. He's, he's convicted of things or he's accused of things that he did not do and he's thrown in jail back down. And that's where our story uh, today uh, picks, up, picks up. But I want you to notice something about the trajectory of Joseph's life because it's really important. Um, Joseph is approaching middle age. How many of you, raise your hand if you think you're middle age. Okay, we got a few. We got a few, that's right. He's approaching middle age. And what, what's interesting that's going on in Joseph's life that I hope we pick up on is that he's starting to, uh, he's starting to ask some different questions about his life. Joseph... Joseph's dreams early on as a teenager, kind of like us, were all about him. You know, what am I going to do? You know, in our dreams early on, we think about what we're going to do. We're sort of right there in front and center, middle stage. We're, we're trying to figure out who we are and, uh, and, and who we're going to be, right? But Joseph's dream to middle age starts to shift from about him to the dreams of others. And if you're in the middle of life... That's probably what you're starting to think about. You know, I can only uh, go this high and achieve this much. I can only uh, uh, own uh, so much stuff. But what am I doing with my life? Joseph goes from who am I or what am I about to the bigger question, what am I here for and what is my calling? He goes from forging an identity for himself to fulfilling his purpose, which is often what happens as we get to the middle of life. To the first half of the life, it's about accumulation, it's about getting those degrees, getting my education, finding my career. And then it seems on the other part, other half of life, it's what can I give away, not what can I get. It's who can I help and who can I walk with. That is the transformation that's going on in Joseph's life. Here's the big irony. Don't miss this. It's only when Joseph listens to the dreams of others that his own original life dream begins to unfold. Oh, 
It's only how, when, when we start to think about how we can help other people, that our own identity is forged. Joseph, though, is in the cell, and he's probably not thinking about his life purpose and dreams right at the moment. He's probably playing a good card game of solitaire, right? When two men are pushed in his cell. Now these men are palace officials. One is a cupbearer. You know that you're rich when you have somebody, when you hire a cupbearer. That's when you know you've made it in life. Pharaoh's made it in life. Got a cupbearer and a baker. And for what reason, and I don't know why, because the writer didn't tell us, Pharaoh, King Pharaoh of Egypt, is livid at the baker and the cupbearer. And so he sends them to the king's uh, jail, which is where uh, Joseph is doing his little card game, right? One night, after some time passes, they, they both had a dream. It was a, each had his own dream, but it was, uh, they, they both dreamed uh, things that night. And they both woke up depressed. And Joseph kind of looks up from a solitary game and notices these two guys on the other side of the cell that are long-faced and they're depressed. What is the matter, he says. Well, we had dreams last night and there's no one here to translate them. And Joseph says, God can. Now, there's another thing that's happening in Joseph's life. First story, teenage Joseph, you don't even read about God. God is not even implied in the story. Second story, God is sort of in the margins. And now Joseph is beginning to practice the presence of God. The guy says, nobody's here to interpret. Oh, God can, meaning God is here behind bars. God is in this jail and God can do it. Share with me your dream. Joseph, uh, so, so he does that, and uh, the cupbearer shares this dream. It's a weird dream. Three vines, instant. He said it was weird, you know. The, the leaves grew instantly. Three plump groups of grapes bud open quickly, and the grapes are dropping right in time. And the cupbearer has Pharaoh's cup in his dream, and he presses the juice in the cup and delivers it to the, to the king. Good news, says Joseph. In three days, you'll be lifted up by the king and restored to your job. And there was another guy, and Jeff didn't read this, but I'll just kind of fill in the blanks for you. That other guy was like, all right, sounds like good news. And he tells him his dream. Three baskets on my head, um, and, uh, and they're all kind of pastries on the baskets. And he told, he told Joseph that there were all these birds picking at the top of the pastry. He says, well, not so good news for you. Three days, you'll be executed by the king. Now, I don't know what that baker did. I mean, that must have been one bad pastry about a week before. Um, but, oh my goodness. Um, so, they do both get out. And they do both go to the king's birthday party. And Joseph says, would you do me a favor to the cupbearer? Would you just remember me? Maybe put in a good word for the king. Anybody ever need a good word put in for you or to be remembered for some reason? Please tell him because I'm, I'm here on false charges and, uh, and please, please tell uh, Pharaoh. And cupbearer winks at him, but guess what? He forgets. For two long years, he forgets. Now everything that Joseph said came to pass, right? Um, but the cupbearer forgets about Forgets about Joseph. Um, until, until 
two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And it's a dream about skinny and ugly cows eating fat cows and then uh, a, a really healthy bushel of wheat, I think, being eaten up by rotten wheat. And nobody, not one astrologer, magician, horoscope, nothing can tell him what this dream's all about. And finally, the cupbearer goes, I remember. I remember. Now, don't you think, though, when Joseph said, please remember me to that cupbearer, he probably thought to himself, nothing's going to happen, right? But then that cupbearer says, wait a second, I remember, I messed up. Pharaoh, there's a guy in jail right now who can interpret your dreams. And he interpreted my dream, he interpreted the baker's dream, and everything happened like he happened. And so they, they pull Joseph out of prison because the Pharaoh said, get him out of here at once. They take his jumpsuit off of him, put a nice Giorgio Armani on him. He gets a nice clean shave, and he's there in the palace before the most powerful man in the known world. Well, he shares with him his dream. And uh, all of a sudden, he's promoted to second in command. Uh, Joseph says, this is about famine and about plenty. And I can tell you what your dreams are, uh, uh, Pharaoh. You're going to, uh, we're going to have seven good years and lots going to grow in the field. The corn's going to be high. Everything's good. But there are going to be seven years of famine. So you need somebody to hire to store some of this stuff so that when we hit the famine, we can take care of our, uh, of our country. And uh, you just need somebody like that. And Pharaoh goes, you're the man. You're the man. This is the guy. Is anybody else better than Joseph? And they put a, he puts a signet on Joseph's uh, hand. He puts a purple robe on him. And Joseph is in charge of everybody in the country. Everybody except for um, Everybody except for, uh, for Pharaoh himself. Now Joseph goes from one seemingly small and insignificant act in jail to two years later being second in command. Right there in jail. He gets, gets out his worn out deck of cards for another game. He could have just kept playing solitaire and ignored the cupbearer and the baker. But he didn't. Here's the point that he's going to learn. It's often in the ordinary things we do in life that seeds are planted and lives are changed. It's often in the ordinary times and the ordinary things we do that somebody's life is changed. Those forgettable, simple moments of faithfulness can lead to breakthroughs. That's what Joseph's learning. Jesus, leaning against the wall of a temple, sees a widow put in a couple of coins, says, that is great. That woman's great. And they, they couldn't understand what Jesus was talking about because it wasn't going to get them out of debt or anything like that. It wasn't a big gift she put in there, but that's what Jesus said is great. You see that? She put more in them than all the others combined. See this seed, Jesus said? It's a mustard seed. It's going to grow and to be a big, big bush. And mustard seeds also are like weeds where they'll fill up a whole field in no time. And he said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Something small, seemingly insignificant, that someone does, plants a seed, somebody else waters it, and it grows. It can move mountains, says Jesus. And the disciples weren't quite sure. 
But it was a small gesture by Joseph. It was the beginning of a big thing for many. Jesus keeps looking for the big and the small. Now in the late 1930s in South Africa, a white South African minister whose name was Trevor Huddleston was just run-of-the-mill pastor walking down the sidewalk and he tipped his cap to a young mother and her son who were both black South Africans. Now that was small and we wouldn't think there was anything big about that but it was a little bit subversive because it was rare in those days for a white person to acknowledge and recognize a black person. It was apartheid. The young boy was astonished though. This young black African was astonished that this white minister would nod to him and he begged his mama, Mama, please, can we go to that man's church? Can we go? And they showed up to church there because she finally relented and they heard messages there of an incredible love that God has for all of us, that his love is more powerful than anything on earth, including hate, and that, it, that this love wouldn't stop until every institution and every heart was changed and freed so that we might be delivered from hate and selfishness. And that young man's life, that young boy grew up to be Desmond Tutu. A tip of the cap on the sidewalk, something seemingly so insignificant, in 50 years he'd be receiving the Nobel Peace Prize for helping South Africa destroy apartheid and become a society for all people. Who would have ever known it? Trevor probably didn't know that, but he did. All one simple gesture on the sidewalk. The seed was planted for two years in the cupbearer's heart. This gesture of this really nice guy in the jail cell that stopped playing cards and listened to them and asked them what was wrong and interpreted their, their dreams. And two years later, that seed that Joseph planted was finally watered. It's Pharaoh's turn to dream and he dreams and the cupbearer remembers. He remembers. Please remember me. He forgets but he remembers the criminal on the cross, on the side of the cross, looks at Jesus and says, what does he say? Jesus, do you remember me? And he does. Jesus himself breaks open the loaf and lifts up the cup and he says, every time you do this, my family, would you please remember me? And so, you and I, like the sower, God is giving us seeds, small things. I wish I could show you our elaborate food pantry in our church. It can fit in a drawer in Fran's office. It's a reception there, and when hungry people come, we can't give them a big meal, but we can share some crackers. We can take the edge off and ask, what do you need? We know you need a shot. What do you need? What do you need? And, and Fran, it's just such a simple, simple gestures. And Bev, and, and, and anybody who's here, treat somebody with dignity. And if you were here this morning at 745, Luke, who joined our church, who works at Brent's Drugs, has been promoted to, uh, uh, over there at Brent's. He can't worship with us, but you know where he is at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning? He's on his knees right there. Crackers, peanut butter, life changed. 
seed planted. Now that's St. Luke's. I wasn't here at the time, but some of you could tell me about a couple of doctors years and years ago who were concerned about people getting out of the hospital and gaining their mobility back. Dream, work, seed planted, Methodist rehab. And now I go there to visit a lot of people and I see hundreds of cars. Why? Because because of some small gestures of somebody asking, what if? Joseph listened to Pharaoh's dream and he interpreted. And Joseph rose to the occasion and rose to his purpose. Not about his own dreams about him, but about the dreams of others. And ironically, that's where his dreams came true. Now, it says that Joseph started his job when he was 30. A few verses after what Jeff read, it says he was 30 when he began his high-level cabinet position. Now, for 14 years, seven of famine, seven of, uh, seven of plenty, seven of, pan, fan, of famine means that he was serving between the ages of 30 and 44. Raise your hand if you are between the ages of 30 and 44 in this room. Okay, your break may be coming. You know, you never know. Um, but you're, you're in middle age. And, and what I want to encourage you to do in the middle of your life is to ask the questions that Joseph was starting to question. What is God calling you to do? Whose dreams are you called to interpret? Who are you called to help? Here's the persistent question of us all even if you have long passed the ages of 30 to 44, or if you haven't got there yet. Here's life's persistent question. Is my life going to feed anybody? Is your life going to feed somebody? Are you going to be like Joseph? Are you going to bless other people? And how's it going to happen? Because Eric Erickson says that when we hit midlife, our main agenda becomes generativity. That's what he said. It's a big fancy word for, can I make a, a mark for caring for others? Will my life leave other lives for the better? So if you're young, start early and start asking that question. Because you'll blink, you'll blink, and you'll be older. Let that question sink in. If you're old, your life can feed other people, because God has still got you here for a reason. You've got a purpose. And your purpose is to make an impact on other people. Your purpose is like the man who said, what would you do if you had one more day to live? You know what he said? I'd plant a tree. I would do something that out-legacied and outlived me. And we're going to have chance after chance to do that. Deeds, your deeds, those of you who are more seasoned, become echoes of your life long after you're here. Poet once said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. And I believe that's God's truth for all of us. This is what God's up to, relentlessly pursuing us and calling us beyond ourselves and beyond our dreams to interpret for others. Listen to what Barbara Brown says, Barbara Brown Taylor says about what it means to be the church. She says this, our job as a community of faith is to remind each other that the lives God has called us to live is right here, right now. Every night, she continues, when you go to bed, the world is either a brighter place or a darker place because you were in it. And you have that choice to make. It's our choice 
to look up and listen and wait for God to interpret others' dreams or to just keep playing solitaire. When we help other people with their dreams, that's how our dream's going to unfold. The greatest of all, Jesus said, will be the one who serves. Now, why do we resist? We fail to let God expand our dreams, to bang them out, to increase that circle. We forget that the same door that we help other people through is going to be open for us. Sometimes we fail to ask for it. We're not bold enough, remember me. So ask for it, and we give up when we don't. And we stop seeing the small things. I'm not daring you to do great things for God. I'm daring you to do small things with great love, as Mother Teresa once said. Life is in the details. And our story at St. Luke's is loaded with people who started to pay attention to the details. Because we believe here that even our stories, you got a story, I got a story, we've got a story. It's like Oprah Winfrey giving out stories. You got a story. But we've got a greater story than my story. It's our story. And we got to share that story. We got to tease it out for people. Because don't forget the Christ who whispers in our ear. He whispers even the smallest, most forgettable gesture can make all the difference in the world. Even a seed can move mountains, he says. We already possess the seed. We already possess the miracle. It starts small, it takes time, but it will bud. It's a much richer life than solitude. And it's yours if you will look for somebody to help. So help somebody and see what happens. Let's pray. God, thank you for the small opportunities, for the small windows that open in our lives. Thank you for the chances we get. Forgive us for the times that we didn't look up. Keep tapping on our shoulder, Lord. Don't give up on us. We won't give up on Jesus. Carry us through so that the doors will be opened Eyes will be opened and hearts will be opened to your great good news. Help us with the dreams of others. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Let's open our hymnals, our little brown hymnals, to 233. Love lifted me. And I love the second verse of this hymn. If you'll look at the words with me, it's kind of like a declaration of faith. All my heart to him I give, ever to him I'll cling, in his blessed presence live.